Well, Happy New Year, everybody. We're one year closer, right? One year closer. (laughs) I just want to uh, greet anyone who is visiting with us. Maybe it's your first time at Hope Chapel this morning. And we want you to know we're delighted you're here. And it is our hope and prayer, certainly, that your life is somehow enhanced as a result of being with us this morning. Actually, the first worship service of the new year. And uh, again, our hope and prayer is your life is, is enhanced as a result of being with us. If you have some questions or you'd like to talk to somebody, one of our elders, or maybe have some prayer, uh, our elders will be available after the service, and they'll be located over here in the rear of our sanctuary. They should have a blue badge. That's how you know them. And uh, just let them know, and they'll be happy to speak with you and meet with you. So it's good to have you with us this morning. A couple things real quickly. Uh, just I want to share a bit of good news with you. I got a letter in the mail. Bruce uh, Bailey sent me a, a letter, actually a, one of those things called emails. I don't, I don't have email, but it sound, somehow found its way to me. And, uh, you know, we've been, the last couple of years, been reaching out to these uh, Japanese students who have been coming over to uh, America. And uh, uh, one of them received the Lord and actually got baptized last month. So just exciting news. I knew you'd be glad. And uh, no doubt, that, you know, seeds are planted in, in, in a lot of those lives. And uh, we have 30 more, 30 more students coming over. And they should be, what, in February? February, Bruce? February 6th. And so we need, again, 30 families or family units or people who would be willing to meet with these uh, students. Uh, as many of you have done before, you know it's not an arduous thing. And it's not real, real demanding, it, but it just requires some connections being made. And if you'd like to help out, at least be praying about that, and uh, hopefully we can make an impact uh, in the lives of those, uh, of those 30 students that are coming, coming back over. So, okay. Uh, next week, you're going to begin to be hearing about our new emphasis on small groups. That would include many churches. That would include our already existing Bible studies. And in addition, a whole list of new groups and opportunities for growth. The whole point is spiritual growth and maturity. And uh, we're going to have actual catalog for you next weekend, uh, listing all the groups. It is really, really impressive. And I think you're going to be real excited about the future. So uh, next week, we're going to begin to launch our new emphasis on small groups. And remember, the whole, the whole point and the whole focus of the small groups is for what? Growth. growth. How many think they need to grow? Yeah, I didn't see a lot of hands go up. <laughs> All right. So next week, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll talk more, much more about that. And uh, as Alan mentioned, too, this is communion weekend. And so I do want to encourage you. I've got a, a word for you this morning about communion. And uh, as we have been doing for the past few months, uh, after I'm done speaking, we will have time. You can take time just in your own pace to reflect on your own life, examining your own heart. Uh, confessing whatever sins, repenting, whatever is necessary, and then come to the communion table at your own pace, either individually or with your family or with your spouse. Um, And uh, at the same time, you can, uh, as we have been doing, bring your tithe and offering and leave those at the table. Also, the uh, tithe trays are on the communion table. Elders will be available. Uh, If you want to make a connection and maybe speak to them after the service, uh, that would be absolutely fine. Okay? So if you would, take your Bibles open to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. 
I thought at the, at the beginning of the new year, what more appropriate thing for us to do that, but to have communion together as a body and uh, focus on the Lord and certainly orient our life for this whole new year towards Him and towards His will. I think there's no better way to celebrate uh, a new year coming and anticipating that. All of us are on this journey, are we not? This journey to heaven. And on the journey, we experience lots of different things, don't we? Lots of challenges, lots of ups and downs, failures, weaknesses. Uh, We're confronted with our own limitations. And I want us to to view this morning as we come to the Lord's table as as a pause, if you will. A pause for refreshment, a pause for fellowship, because fellowship with the Lord is really uh, refreshing. Uh, we come back, we, we take a deep breath and uh, are reminded of who He is, who we are, and how much we need Him. Uh, I was reminded again this morning about that when uh, Jill Kramer asked me um, how I was doing, and I, I said, I am thankful and uh, I am hoping and I'm confident in the Lord. And he, my eyes are on him more and more and more. Uh, life does not make any sense whatsoever. But more so, without the Lord, it certainly doesn't make sense. It's just absolutely crazy. All the more reason for us to just kind of take a step back this morning and reflect, think, anticipate, but more than all, just focus on him. We are this is this is so so absolutely tremendous when you think about it. We are Christians. We are Christians. Not just religious people. We are Christians. We've been we've been saved. We've been rescued from the domain of darkness. We've been transferred into God's kingdom by his by his great love for us. We are a unique people. And we have so much to be thankful for. We can't even begin to comprehend what God has done for us. And all that we owe Him, all that we owe Him, uh, He asks that we just repay Him just by trusting Him, walking by faith. So as we anticipate this new year, uh, let's focus on those things. As you look at the book of Corinthians, most of you are aware that uh, Paul's ministry to that particular church, to the Corinthians, uh, was largely corrective. Uh, you read uh, chapter after chapter, page after page, line by line practically, and you see that the Apostle Paul, in writing to them, is correcting them. And he's addressing their sins, he's addressing their failures. Um, he is uh, seeking to answer some of their, their questions, address their problems, uh, some problems were very, very difficult. Some problems uh, were delicate. Some were very, very, very personal. But now, in, as we get to chapter 11, not only is he going to address their failures with respect to the communion table, but also he pauses for, I think, a time of reflection with them. Again, there are moments when we need to get away from the difficulties of life. We need to get away. We need to just kind of shift our focus uh, from the conflicts in order that you and I can be indeed refreshed uh, so that we can know something 
of what it means that the Lord would uh, uh, lead us beside those uh, green pastures and in quiet waters. And we can just rest and be refreshed. I think it's interesting that at this particular point in this letter to the Corinthians, uh, Paul introduces what he has to say about the Lord's Supper. It's as if to say that we are to forget for a while. Forget for a while the things that test us and the things that try us. Put them aside for a little bit. Try to, try to just get it out of your mind, that, that nagging problem and issue and challenge that's facing your life. And come aside so that together we can meditate upon Him. We can look to Him. And as I said earlier, a time, a pause for refreshment, a pause for fellowship. This is our purpose. This is our purpose here. This morning our purpose is a time, again, of fellowship with Jesus. It's a time and a, an opportunity for us to pause for reflection upon the cross and upon His resurrection and upon the meaning of the communion table. It's a, it's a great challenge uh, to me personally, but also at the same time it's, it's, it's a, an exciting kind of thing to uh, every first weekend of the month to address communion and to try to bring some special, maybe new, fresh perspective on the communion table. But it's forcing me uh, to do the very things I'm suggesting to you this morning. It's a time for me to pause and reflect and say, Lord, get, let, help me get a new sense of, of, of the communion table and uh, how special it is and how uh, absolutely inexhaustible uh, you are in terms of your grace to us. It was a practice of the early church, you recall, uh, to meet with each other, and uh, they call those meetings love feasts. And uh, they met in the temple courts. Luke records in Acts chapter 2 that the early church, they met in the temple courts, and they also uh, broke bread in their homes, a time of fellowship. It was actually a time of social fellowship, as much as like uh, we've been doing in many churches for low many, these many years and is in all of our small groups. It's a, it's a time for social fellowship, but also uh, they followed that fellowship with uh, the practice of what's known as breaking bread. And it was reminiscent of what Jesus did the night before he died when he broke the bread and he gave to his disciples. It's a time of, of reflecting again. Our fellowship is wonderful, but we're coming together in the name of the Lord Jesus. And our fellowship is really around him. We don't ever want to lose sight of that. And the early church practiced that. Let me read to you again from Acts chapter 2, verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread. They were devoted to what you and I would know and understand as communion. This is why we are uh, focusing on communion uh, the first weekend of every month and, and making a more concerted effort to make that the whole centerpiece rather than an add-on, if you will, to our service as we've done for so many years. In verse 46, Luke says, Every day, every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts, 
They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. I love that last phrase, with glad and sincere hearts. I don't know about you, but uh, this morning was especially hard to get up. I woke up this morning, I thought, oh, this bed is so warm. And I wanted to stay there so badly. But I thought, no, uh, I can't call Jeff at this last minute and have him stand in for me. I know he would have gladly done it. But once I got here, it was just, it's just, it was just I'm glad I was here. Glad I'm here. I'm, I'm, you know, and, and, and I think it just reminds me of this particular passage uh, that we meet together. And, 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 and our meeting should result the, with a, a certain measure of gladness. I'm glad I came. I'm glad I showed up. And, and I know that you understand that because all of us have experienced that it, in some environment, maybe where we, uh, we kind of went reluctantly, but afterwards we said, you know, I'm glad I came and we are blessed. And so they, they met together every day. They couldn't get enough fellowship. They couldn't get enough, if you will, they couldn't get enough of Jesus. Can we ever get enough of him? Of course not. I want more and more of Jesus. How many want more and more of him in their life? As the Apostle Paul says in Philippians uh, chapter 3, he says, I want to know him. You would think Paul, of all people, would know Jesus. But he's saying, I want to know him. The implication is, I want to know him more and more and more intimately, more consistently. So the early church met together. They practiced the breaking of bread, communion, on a, on a weekly basis. The problem with the Corinthians is that they had gone too far in their practice of the Lord's table. Uh, it had become uh, a point of, of abuse in their eating and drinking. Some were getting drunk. Uh, some were, some were, were, if you will, pigging out. Uh, at the love feast and uh, total disregard for their brothers and sisters and, and disregarding literally the, the body of Christ. And it, it became a, a, a horrible, horrible scene. And so Paul, in, in, this, in this chapter, rebukes those Corinthians in verses 20 through 22. Uh, read this, just read these verses with me. He says, When you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper you eat, For as you eat, each of you goes ahead without waiting for anybody else. One remains hungry, another gets drunk. Don't you have homes to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you for this? And his response to his own rhetorical question is, No, certainly not. There's nothing here to be praised. And then in verse 23... Paul began to talk to them and remind them about the first Lord's Supper. Look with me at verse 23 through 26. He says, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. So he had instructed them earlier about how to properly conduct themselves and what the Lord's Supper was all about. He says, The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it. And said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. 
In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Now, in the first place, Paul is calling their attention, and ours, if you will, to the, to the whole idea that the Lord's table is a place of remembrance. It is a table of remembrance. It's a remembrance of the past. He uses that word twice, uh, quoting Jesus. Jesus says, remember, remember. So, so as we look back, it's a point of remembrance for us. So communion is, first of all, a feast of remembrance. I use that word feast because I, I believe the Lord means for us to, again, feast on Him. Feast on Him. And there's this picture of abundance, not meagerness. Now, I know that a, a little piece of matzah cracker and a little plastic cup of juice is not necessarily a feast. But, but in reality, it, it points us to Him upon whom we do feast. Am I making sense to you? I think, we, I think we want to be able to say, Lord, I, I just want all you have. I, I want more of you in my life. This idea of feasting, if you will. And so it's a, it's a first of all, a feast of remembrance. If we, if we think of Jesus as a friend, is he our friend? He says that, doesn't he? He says, no longer do I call you, but I call you my friends now. So as a friend, he calls us as his friends, to remember him. Remember me. Remember me. Don't forget me. Are we apt to forget people? Yeah. I mean, you know the old saying, out of sight, out of mind? It's easy to be forgetful. That's why it's imperative for us to come back every, every week regularly. That's why it's imperative that, we, that we're meeting much more regularly, maybe even just once a week, so that we don't forget. You say, well, I'd never forget Jesus. But in your day-to-day life, it's easy to get caught up with all the stuff of life, and you really do forget him. That's just, that's just part of our human dilemma, I believe. So he says, don't forget me. He who has given himself for us at Calvary is asking each one of us to remember him, to remember him and to remember him in his death, to put him and his death at the very center of our Christian experience. I am a Christian. What does that mean? It means that Jesus is the centerpiece of my life and that his death on that cross is the centerpiece of my life. I'm focused on that. I'm remembering that it was for my sin that he died. That doesn't, I'm, I'm, that's not to make me feel guilty. It's to remind me of how desperately needy I am of him and for what he did. And as I'm reminded of that and remind myself of those things, because Christ and his death being the centerpiece of my life and my Christian experience causes me only to respond with what? Gratitude and praise and worship adoration, and love. It is Jesus who loved us to the point of dying for us. It is He who calls us. He calls us from our busyness. He calls us 
often from, if you will, the barrenness of all of our work. Have you ever, have you ever wondered, you know, I'm doing all this stuff and there seems to be so much, so little return on my investment of energy and time? Life seems to not give a lot back, does it? And he calls us, he calls us from that. He calls us to come and wait upon him. To get still before him, get quiet before him. And remember him. Thank him and worship him. This is part and parcel of what communion is about. It's his call to us. He points us back. He points us back not to his life and not to his example. And very often that's what people look to. He points us back, rather, to that which is at the very heart of the gospel. That is the cross. And the finished work of the cross, the atonement. He has done this. He points us back. Remember me. Remember what I did for you. It's easy for us to get prideful, isn't it? There isn't a single one of us in this room, I promise you, that, that is not prideful to some degree. And all of us, when you become conscious of it, battle it, you despise it, you don't want to admit to it, but it's there. Our pride continually rises up. This is why we focus on the cross, on the finished work of Jesus. So that our pride, we have, no, we have nothing to be prideful about. Nothing to boast in. Everything that we are, presently as Christians, we are because of what he's done for us and what he continues to do for us. Am I making sense? Are you with me? Can anybody relate to this? Two of you. Good. All right. <laughs> Perhaps something we're thinking about, I think, also... And I found this fascinating. And I just, it just, I stumbled upon this this last week as I was preparing this, this uh, message for you. And, uh, and I think it's, it's interesting that <clears throat> when Jesus took the bread, symbolic of his body, pointing toward his body, and, and he gave it to his disciples, he didn't murmur, he didn't whine, he didn't complain. It's not just he was enduring this. I want you to notice something. He gave thanks. He gave thanks. This thanksgiving that Jesus exhibits came crashing in on me. He gave thanks. At that moment, when all the powers of hell were being arrayed against him. And were they not? Absolutely. And he knew it. At that very moment, when all the powers of hell were being arrayed against him, when, when he was getting ready to go out to Gethsemane and then up the hill to Calvary, he gave thanks. And I reason I think he gave thanks is because from the very beginning, from the very beginning, this was his testimony. In Psalm 40, verse 8, I delight to do thy will, O my God. 
I delight to do thy will. This, here's, here's why he's giving thanks. Now, that, I don't know about you, but that's hard to connect with. That's, I mean, I can understand it, but it's hard to connect with me personally. Most of us dread doing his will. Especially we know that his will is going to require really something, us giving everything we have. Most of us would go, oh, man. Rather than, I delight to do your will, oh, my God. And we give thanks in the face of it. All that to say this. The communion table is a memorial. It's a memorial of the past. It's a reminder of the cross and the centrality of the message of the cross. It's a recognition that there the Lord Jesus was thankful. Note this, please. He was thankful for the privilege that was his in dying for sinners like you and me. I don't know if you can get your wrap, wrap your mind around that. He was thankful for the privilege of dying for sinners like you and me. We call that amazing grace. Do we not? Amazing. So as a response to that, when we understand that, I think our, our, our central thought then should be one of worship. Should, should we not worship him? But Paul tells us, he goes on, and he tells us that the table is not only a place of remembrance, but it is also an expression of our love for the Lord Jesus Christ. For all that he's done, we, we show him our love. Verse 26, he puts it this way. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. When you love somebody, don't you proclaim it? You want to tell somebody. You're bursting inside. You just you cannot keep quiet. You want to tell it. And certainly you want to tell that person, I love you. There is one moment of our life above all others when we each one proclaim you can also translate that word preach, a sermon. One moment above all others in which you and I preach a sermon, the most important sermon, and that is when we come to the Lord's table. Whenever we do it, he says, we proclaim, we preach the Lord's death until he comes. In other words, the Lord's death is the centerpiece of our life, and our response is one in which we, the very fact that we proclaim it we're proclaiming our love for Him. My personal, my personal proclamation is an expression of my love. Let me say that again. My personal proclamation is an expression of my love. The fact that I would do that, I love Him. I'm proclaiming, I'm preaching, I'm preaching to the, all the powers of darkness, proclaiming the Lord's death, which has utterly defeated them. I am also proclaiming to the Lord Himself, who searches my heart. I'm proclaiming 
my trust in Him, my trust in His finished substitutionary work on that cross. I'm proclaiming my love for Him and my gratitude. And then we, when we come to the table, we, we proclaim these things to one another. It is absolutely astounding. It is wonderful to watch the body come together. To watch the body come and seek the Lord and to remember Him at that table. I try to envision the first century and those love feasts that went on and what it was like in their midst and what they were experiencing and their expressions. Just, it just had to be absolutely, absolutely just so wonderful. It is a terrific thing when we come together. And we are proclaiming to one another our love for Him. And when we come to this table, we find ourselves, or at least we should think of ourselves, as invited to a feast. The Bible will go on later on in the New Testament and talk about the the, 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 the feast of heaven, huh? The, the love feast that awaits us. And we anticipate that when we come to the Lord's table. So we come to this table, we, we feast upon he who described himself as the bread of life. In John's Gospel, you recall in chapter 6, he says, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry, and he who believes in me will never be thirsty. The idea is that we we keep coming. It's not that we just came once, that we we keep coming. We keep eating. We keep drinking of Him. We keep taking Him into us. We keep, if you will, if I can use that word again, feasting on Him. As I mentioned earlier, we can't get enough of Jesus. We can't get enough of Him. We continue the feast, if you will, of receiving Him into our hearts By faith. It's by faith. I believe. I believe, Jesus, you are real. I believe that you are alive. I believe what this book says. I believe that you came, that you are God in the flesh. I believe that I am a sinner, just like this book says. I believe that I have no hope apart from you. I believe that you got up on that cross. I believe that you died for me. I believe that you were buried. I believe that you rose again. I believe this stuff. It's my faith. When I come to the table, I rehearse all of that. And in so doing, I find myself once again feasting on Him, enjoying Him more and more and more, much as you would a feast. And as we do so, we bow our heads. We bow our heads in sweet fellowship with Him, in, in adoration, in worship, telling Him what He means to us. God, you mean so much. Jesus, you mean so much. I love you. I love you, Lord. The true life-giving principle in a Christian is that every single faculty that we possess, every single faculty is feasting on Jesus Christ. My soul is feasting on Him. That intangible part of me is feasting on Him with thanksgiving 
Thanksgiving that he loved me and died for me, that he protects me and he guides me. I believe that he protects me. I believe that he guides me. I believe that nothing happens in my life without his sovereign will, permission, and purpose. And I thank him and worship him. One day he will take me safely home. I believe that. And as we said earlier, we are one year closer to that and one day closer to that. As I meditate on these things, my soul is refreshed. I can exhale as the expression goes. My soul is refreshed. My heart begins to take comfort and courage to rise up again. And my mind, my mind accepts again the word of God and I begin to meditate on all that I know and all that I've learned. I'm incited to know and to learn more about him and rejoice in him, rejoice in, in his word. His word is truth. His word is truth. You, you just have to love this book. My heart feasts on his love, his care, his thoughtfulness, his faithfulness. And my heart responds with thanksgiving and adoration. My will feasts on his commands. I begin to recognize that his word is to be obeyed. These are not just suggestions. <laughs> These words are life. He says, my word is life. This is the way. Walk in it. You want a life? You want a life? Learn God's word. Walk in it. But none of that will ever happen to you. You can't just do that without first acknowledging him and recognizing him and who he is and his faithfulness. God, you are good all the time. Amen, church? We bow before His sovereign will. When you trust Him, you bow before His sovereign will. You say, yes, Lord. I delight to do Your will, O my God. My soul hopes in the fulfillment of His promises. His promises that have never yet failed throughout all of history. This book is a record of God's will and purpose and promises. And you read it, you see he has never, ever failed. For those who trust him, he always, always brings us through the fire. Always delivers us. Isn't that great news? That's our hope. That's our hope. And, and, and our soul feasts on that hope as well. Therefore, as we take communion together this morning, every part of our lives, every faculty that we possess, our hearts, our minds, our souls, our wills, they should all be feasting upon Him with everything that we are. And that mindful that He is at the very center of everything. Paul has something else to say about the Lord's table. Not only is it a place of remembrance, not only is it a place we express our love, but it's also a place of hope. It's a place of great hope. He says, you proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. Until He comes. 
Our hope is that any moment, any day, the clouds may part and Jesus, our Savior, may come again. You think about that. Jesus said, no one knows the day or the hour. Jesus says, keep looking up. Be ready. He could come at any moment. Wow. We live hopefully every single moment. And this table is a table of hope as well as remembrance and as well as a table of love. As you and I join together in the Lord's table, remembering His death, we're doing it until He comes. Until He comes. Isn't it wonderful to remember that there will be a day? There will be a day when we will be no longer in need to do that anymore. There will be a day when we will no longer have to meet at the Lord's table only until He comes. He will have come. That will be a wonderful day, won't it? No more sin. A day when there's no more sin, no more pain, no more grief, no more sorrow, no more disease, no more death, no more grief, no more regret, no more struggle. There'll be a day. It's a table of hope. There'll be no more weakness, no more discouragement, no more ignorance, no more empty place at the family table. Right, Ken? We will all be together with Jesus. The Lord's table is a place of tremendous hope. Tremendous hope. Those of us who are here, those of us who who persevere, we come and we embrace that hope again. We're renewed and refreshed by that. You know, the Lord Jesus went out from that Last Supper, the Bible tells us. He went out with his disciples to die for them, didn't he? The disciples went out. One went out to betray him. One went out to deny him. Others to be prayerless and forgetful. Ultimately all to desert him. And often we have broken bread and we've gone out just to do what those disciples did. We've denied him in some way. Truth be known. Paul says in verse 27... Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. He doesn't say, notice this, he doesn't say, if we are unworthy. None of us are really worthy, are we? Any worthiness that we claim comes from our union with him. We are worthy only in Christ, in that relationship. He grants us his righteousness His worthiness. So none of us really are worthy enough, if you will. Notice verses 28 and 29. He says, A man ought to examine himself before he eats the bread and drinks of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without recognizing the body of the Lord eats and drinks judgment on himself. Interesting statement. When I come to the Lord's table, I am to remember the Lord's body. 
Now here's a subtle thing, but yet very significant. I'm to remember the Lord's body, not simply the body that hung on the cross. There's another body I'm to remember. What's that? The body of Christ, which is the church. If you go back up earlier into that passage, and Paul talks to them and rebukes them, he says that they, they despise the church of God. So they're not discerning the body of Christ and how they're conducting themselves. When you and I come to the communion table, we must remember the body of Christ, not just Him hanging on the cross, but His body now, here, presently, the church. I am to realize that I'm part of this body. I'm to remind myself and rehearse the truth. I'm part of this body. And if in my life I am in any way sinning against the body of Christ, recognize that I'm grieving the Lord and am therefore eating unworthily. Are you with me? How might I I be sinning against the body of Christ? How might I be sinning against the church? Obviously, there's, there's clear sins, lying, stealing, adultery, those kinds of things. We certainly want to examine ourselves and repent of anything like that in our life. But if I can carry it further, I say, am, am I being a divisive person? Am I, am, I, am I being divisive in the body of Christ? Am I creating factions? Am I a gossip? If I gossip and, 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 and bear tales in the church, I'm sinning against the body of Christ. I may be sinning against the body of Christ by my non-involvement. I'm just not involved. God has gifted me, equipped me, and he's done so to enable me to participate in the life of the body so the body may be built up. If I'm not a participant in what he wants in the church, I'm sinning against the body. It may be that I'm just ignoring ignoring the one another's of the New Testament. Love one another. Encourage one another. Help one another. Bless one another. Strengthen one another. There are ways in which you and I can easily, without even thinking, be sinning against the body. And so coming to the table without recognizing that, without repenting of that, we come and we eat in an unworthy manner. Are you with me? Secondly, I eat and drink unworthily and am guilty of the body and blood of the Lord if I come to the table without examining myself. Again, verses 30 and 32. He says to us, That is why many of you are weak and sick and a number of you have fallen asleep. But if we judged ourselves, we would not come under judgment. When we are judged by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that we will not be condemned with the world. Paul is insistently warning us. He's insistently warning us that if we keep coming to the Lord's table without self-examination, without a genuine heart searching regarding our life and our sins, there will come a day when God will judge, when God will discipline us. 
This is a very, very significant thing in God's mind. Now notice the Apostle Paul, in his instruction, nowhere does he put a barrier around the table. There is no no prohibition here to keep us from the Lord's table. But there is a strong, what? Warning that if we come to the table, that we should come in confession, in repentance, in brokenness of heart. Again, let a man, or for that matter a woman, examine himself and not let him stay away. God wants us to come. It's a place of strengthening. It's a place of refreshment. But if if there's stuff in your life that is not right, confess it. Be willing to repent of it. Don't come to the table in a perfunctory manner. Ask yourself this question. Am I a member of the body of Christ? That's a question you can answer. You can Only you can answer it. Am I a member of the body of Christ? People say, you know, is so-and-so saved? I don't know. They're the only one that can answer that question. How do you know you're a member of the body of Christ? How do you know? When you come to the table, what does the table mean to you? That's a question you want to address. Is the table a place of remembrance for me? Is it a place where I really express my gratitude and my love to Him? Is it a place of hope for me? Or is it just a religious exercise? The only thing that should rightly keep a person from the Lord's table is the fact that that person has never first come as a sinner to the cross and received God's forgiving mercy. That's the only thing that should keep a person from the table. Basically a non-believer. But if you, even if you're here this morning and you are not a believer, you can become a believer. You can respond and you can say, Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I recognize that. You brought me here this morning. You, you've made that abundantly clear to me. I, I have no hope without you. Forgive me of my sins. I repent. And I receive you as my Savior. And I commit my life to you. And I want to take communion this morning. I want to remember what you've done. I want to express my gratitude, my love to you. I want to have some hope in my life for the first time. It's a wonderful thing to be a member of the body of Christ. It is a wonderful thing to be a member of the body of Christ. It is a precious thing. It is something to be valued so much because not everybody is. Aren't you glad Jesus saved you? Amen? Lord, as we, as we think on these things and prepare to come to your table, Lord, help us to be people mindful of not only you, but also what you did on that cross. And Lord, that our, our hearts be turned more fully towards you. Lord, we just thank you. Holy Spirit, have your way in us. Search our hearts. Show us if there's anything in us that's untoward, not helpful. 
Lord, forgive us for our gossip, our divisiveness, our non-participation. Forgive us for our ignorance, our witting and unwitting foolishness. Lord, we want to come and feast and be refreshed and strengthened, encouraged. We love you this morning. Amen, church? Amen. Take your time, and as the Lord would lead you, and as you feel prepared and ready, uh, then do approach the table. And again, as I said, the tithes and offerings can be brought simultaneously.